Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. Today is my birthday, and I'm unashamedly telling you that. But more importantly, because I asked Lacey, um, I said, um, now today's my birthday, and he said, well, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, you know, honestly... What I really, really, really want is rest. And I looked at that word rest in the Greek and the Hebrew, which is the languages of the Bible, Greek being the New Testament and Hebrew being the Old. And the definition for rest is refreshing, freedom from exertion, Cessation from from worry or of worry, tranquility, sweet sleep, freedom from earthly toil, freedom from mental or emotional anxiety, a rhythmic pause, a stopping place for shelter or relaxation. Even the words defining rest brings peace and rest. To me, even as I hear those definitions, another definition for rest is open space. Because so often when we feel anxious and, and um, uptight and, and worried and confused and confounded and pushed to the brink and without rest, we feel trapped. And so one of the definitions for rest is open space. It's like that open field that's described in Psalm 23 of, of the green grass the shepherd would lead us through, rest. The New Testament Greek definitions of rest are calming of the winds, a resting place, the heavenly blessedness in which God dwells, to cease, to make quiet, to lead to a quiet abode. The Old Testament definition in the Hebrew is to settle down, to abide, to dwell, tabernacle, or reside. And we're going to start a series this Sunday that I am so excited about. And I've told some people that it's probably the most important thing that I have learned and am learning and am continuing to learn as a believer ever. Because God promises us something as believers that I'm not even sure most of us, I know that I was not even fully aware that I was promised. He promises us a rest, a promised land on this earth before heaven. We have a promise from God of a promised land of rest. That's a promise from God to us. And it's not dependent upon circumstances. It's not dependent upon everything lining up in your life and everything looking right. It's not even dependent upon me or you doing everything right. Isn't that good news? It's dependent upon something else that we'll talk about because the book of Hebrews describes this rest. Psalms describes this rest. 2 Samuel does, Exodus does, Deuteronomy does, the rest of God. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews describes this rest 
and says that we should be careful lest we fall short of it, lest we aren't qualified to enter. We know that the love of God is without condition or qualification. God is love, and he loves each and every person he's ever created. But his promises are conditional and are with qualification. And one of the promises that we have before eternity is a promise of rest and peace on this earth. And it's a literal spiritual place, just as the promised land for the Israelites was a literal physical place. And yet, I didn't even really know about it until not too long ago. And then I studied it and looked at it and prayed about it and saw that I was being exhorted not to fall short of it. And I had to go on my knees and say, God, you know, then how do I get there? How do I fall short of it? And so I'm so excited to share this with you because it's so simple and yet it's so God that the result of the promise is life-changing to the point of a life and death life. See, we can go through this life and, and be believers and be on our way to heaven but have a really miserable time on this earth. Really miserable. And sometimes we look around and we think, well, maybe everyone else is having a miserable time too, so we don't really ever look at each other and say, you know, are you really kind of miserable? Because I am. We don't really do that. We just kind of go through the motions. But God promises us a rest and a peace. He promises it in John 10.10 when he says that we can have life and life abundant. He promises us all through the Bible a rest. He promises us a good plan in Jeremiah 29.11. He promises us a place where we can have peace and joy, where we can have that cessation from worry, like the definition of rest, where we can have that place of space where we don't feel trapped. And it's not dependent upon our circumstances. As a matter of fact, sometimes our circumstances are dependent upon that. Because circumstances are temporal and they change and they're subject to change. They're subject to God. They're subject to God's will. And many times they're changed by our prayers. That's why we are encouraged and exhorted and taught to pray because our prayers move heaven and earth, which changes circumstances. But peace and rest is something that we can have no matter what. And so there's this promised land of peace and rest. It's a promised land that God says that we can enter. Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found who have been fallen short of it. For if Jesus had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. In other words, the book of Hebrews is saying it's beyond just Jesus. Jesus gave us salvation, but there's a rest on this earth that you can forfeit by not meeting the requirements. 
Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Several years ago, I went to a Bible study that studied the book of Hebrews, and it's probably been about 10 or 11 years, but I went and I had a, I had a new binder, and I had a pen, and I had a Bible, and um, I was in this study, and um, I'm sure that it was a great study, Um, I know it was a great study, but I just wasn't at the place to even understand the book of Hebrews. And I wanted to understand the book of Hebrews, but I think what it was is that it was just too complicated for me. And if nothing else, what I love about God is he is so simple and he is so straightforward. And I remember studying about rest and studying that there was this promised land of rest but not understanding, number one, what it even was, and number two, how it was that I was going to fall short of it. And so I actually got somewhat semi-panicked because I knew I probably was falling short of it, but I didn't know what it took to enter it, and I wasn't sure how I was falling short of it. And so I continued in the study, but my brain went into sort of this, like, neutral mode where I didn't take any more information in. Has anyone else ever done that? Because just, it just sort of started to go over my head, and I thought, you know, I know I'm falling short somehow. But see, sometimes when we get so many complicated things coming at us, we try to do one thing, and then we try to do another, and we try to do another, and then we just almost shut down because there's too much. But God is so good. He's so simple. His Word is so straightforward. And what I love about going to his word and not a book and not another study is that we don't have anyone else's voice being woven in to complicate things. It's just God. And what I'm going to show you this morning is the one thing required to enter God's rest. There's only one. And how we fall short of it. And then over the next several weeks and months, We'll study how to come into that one thing and the pitfalls to avoid because God is so clear with those as well. We don't even have to come up with them ourselves. The Word guides us and shows us. So we know two things this morning, that there is a promise of rest on this earth of joy and peace, not dependent upon circumstances. We know there is. It's before heaven. It's here right now. It's today. There's a promise of it. And we know another thing, though, that we can forfeit it, fall short of it, and even as believers, never enter it. So we're going to look over the next several weeks. It's what is this promise of rest on this earth? What does it take to enter it? the pitfalls to avoid that keep us from entering his promised land and the practical steps for entering and staying in his promised land of rest. You know, I love practical steps because unless I can take God's word and apply it to my everyday life, personally for me, unless I can apply it, it just doesn't do me any good. It might make me smarter or it might make me appear to be more holy, But it doesn't improve my family life. 
It doesn't improve my heart or the stuff that's going on in my head, not unless I can take it and apply it and then watch that miraculous, indescribably powerful Word of God come in and change my life, come in and change me and change you, body, soul, and spirit. Change me and change you and your family and my family. And that's what God wants us to do. You know what's sad to me is when I read about this rest and that God's urging us to enter it and I realize that most people will never really know about it and they'll never enter it. And I think you're going to see that more and more as that's revealed to us. I want you to kind of keep something in mind as we study. God continues through both the New and Old Testament to liken us to the Israelites. And as we look in the book of Hebrews and we look at this promise of rest, the writer of the book of Hebrews, who's speaking to Hebrew Christians, why it's called Hebrews, continually talks about this promised land of rest that he says that we can have as believers, this peace, this joy, this indescribably wide-open space in a spirit where you don't feel trapped, you don't feel worried, you don't feel anxious, even when there are difficult circumstances all around you and even within you, you have this place that you're promised. And he warns that we can fall short of it and he constantly refers to us as like the Israelites. And I want you to keep that in mind throughout this study. Because the Israelites were God's people, his chosen people that he loves. And they were given the promised land, a promise of a promised land. And through Moses, they were delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of a dark and awful place where generations of slavery, they had no rights, they had no land, they were serving a cruel taskmaster, Pharaoh. And they were delivered out of slavery and Moses delivered them. God through, well, Moses through God delivered them. And then they entered into a time of testing, which is the wilderness. And they had in the wilderness in this time of testing a promise of rest, a promised land that they were going into. And the writer of Hebrews says that we are to continually look at them and look at where they fell short of entering into this promised land. And then we'll know what it takes for us to enter today into the rest of God. And I think it's sobering for us to realize that out of all of those Israelites that were taken out of Egypt... Only two entered into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Two. Not even Moses was allowed to enter. So not entering the promised land doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. Just like today, the believers that don't enter into the promised land of rest of God, that doesn't mean they're not going to go to heaven. That just means that they forfeited, they fell short on this earth 
from these amazing promises, this place of peace, this place of abundance that you cannot earn, and yet you have to meet the requirements. So when we look at this, I want you to consider the Israelites, because we, like the Israelites, were taken out of Egypt. It's called sin and slavery, slavery to sin, with a cruel taskmaster, which is called our flesh, or even the enemy, both. When you're serving sin, it's the most cruel, torturous place you can be. Why? You don't serve a God who loves you. I've served my flesh. I don't know about you, but it was a cruel and torturous place. It was a cruel and torturous place to serve my flesh. And I think I could tell funny stories, but I could also tell very sobering stories in serving my flesh when I was bulimic and I knew that food had control over me. Serving my flesh when I'm full of anxiety or fear and I knew that my thoughts of torture and and, and, um, guilt and pain and fear and worry and anxiety were going to have control over me. I've been there. I've been in Egypt. And I'm not going back. Because, see, I live in a promised land where I don't have to serve Egypt anymore. Where I serve a God who loves me and brings me life and peace and joy. And it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a list of You bet I will try, God, because I love you so much and I don't want any bad things happening in my life. I've been in Egypt. I don't want to go back there. The hardest thing as Christians is when we're delivered out of Egypt and we get into this place in the wilderness, just like the Israelites, because there's this transition between our deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, into the promised land. God says there will be a time of testing. And what I have seen, if you'll humbly let me say this, is that most Christians never leave the wilderness. They never leave the time of testing and enter into the promised land of rest and peace. Just like the Israelites. The Israelites were taken out of Egypt, taken into this land of wilderness, and it should have been an 11-day trip, but they were there for 40 years. And they never left. They died in the wilderness, all except two. Because they didn't meet the requirements to enter into the promised land. And we as Christians are taken out of Egypt as believers by Jesus Christ. We're delivered from slavery and sin. And then we have this wilderness time of testing where we can enter then into a promised land of rest before eternity because Moses didn't enter into the promised land of rest and yet we know we'll see Moses in heaven before eternity and yet many will fall short many who are better people than I God admonishes us and exhorts us to pay attention today to what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness and to learn from their mistakes and I want to Go slowly into this, although I can't let you leave here without just telling you what the requirement is. So I promise I won't. But I want to read these scriptures because 
it's so easy for us to hear this and think, wow, I'm going to work towards that. Because one of the things that the enemy wants us to do, the devil, and yes, he is real, and yes, I'm not afraid to say that, because that's what Jesus came and taught. And he tells us actually in the word of God that he came here to destroy the works of the devil. So we know what his whole goal and plan was, Jesus Christ. So we have a real, real enemy in the spiritual realm. And I don't think his goal so much now that you know who Jesus is. Most of you here, and if you don't, oh my goodness. You've got the biggest treat of your life. Just ask him into your heart to forgive you. And that's the most incredible, most eternal thing you can do. It's not so much his goal with people who know Jesus to get him to not believe. They already believe. But it's his goal to get you to put everything off. Oh, I'll put faith off. I can do that later. I'm busy right now. I'll put learning scriptures off. I don't have time for that. I'll put the rest of God off. That's really neat what that girl said. But it's easy to put it off. It's easy for us to just say, okay, well, tomorrow. So here's what God wants us to hear today. Hebrews 3, 7, so the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. So I declared in an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. But encourage one another daily as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Just as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Wow. Hebrews 3.8 says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. And God tells us what it is that caused them to not enter his rest. It's found in many scriptures, but I want to read these, and I I know that you're going to pick up on it, but it's so simple, and yet we need to know exactly what he means by this. Hebrews 3.9 says that the Israelites were not able to enter into the rest of God because of unbelief. Unbelief unbelief and today I cannot and you cannot enter into the rest and peace of God that place that God has for us regardless of circumstances regardless of what's in our lives regardless of what we've even been through we cannot enter that place unless we have continual belief it can't be yesterday's belief Belief. And we're called believers, not they believed. Because we're supposed to be believing at all times. And the reason that God talked about a hardening of their hearts is because his people, the Israelite people, saw his power. They saw his hand. They saw his miracles and they believed. 
They were delivered out of Egypt and out of bondage. And they believed. They saw Pharaoh and his armies coming after them and there was no hope and there was no chance. And then they saw the sea part and they passed through and they were delivered as Pharaoh's army and his men were all destroyed. And they looked back and they rejoiced and they praised God and they believed. And then they got into the time of testing and the time of wilderness where it looked like things were not so great. And they stopped believing. And they were not allowed to enter the promised land. Heaven? Is that the promised land? That's the ultimate promised land. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the earthly promised land of rest. Hebrews 3.9 says, Where your fathers were tested and tried me, and for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation, and I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared in an oath in my anger, They shall never enter into my rest. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers, that's you, that's me, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The number one cause of unbelief is a hardened heart. And when I think of like a hardened heart, my first thoughts come to like a hardened criminal, you know, someone who's not repentant, someone who's hardened. But that's not what a hardened heart is in Hebrews. That's not what keeps us from the promised land. We can be repentant. We can love God. We can be serving God. We can be memorizing verses. We can be doing all these religious things. And we can still fall short of entering into the rest of God. A hardened heart is a heart that sees God, believes God, experiences God, and then forgets and goes right back into unbelief. I'm going to read you that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had a hard heart. They saw God's power with the plagues, but they refused to believe God, and God said that it hardened their hearts. Exodus 9.34, When Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again, and his officials hardened their hearts. 1 Samuel 6.6, Wherefore then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaohs hardened their hearts? When he, God, had wrought wonderfully among them, God had done amazing things, and yet they, the Egyptians, did not let the people go. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians had hardened hearts because they saw what God could do and they refused to believe. And yet the Israelites also had hardened hearts, all except for two, because they saw what God did and experienced God and then refused to continue to believe. You think about it, They saw the sea parted. They saw that even over 40 years, their clothes never wore out. 
They saw God rain bread from heaven, a type of bread called manna when there was no food. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, they continued to fall back into unbelief. And after a while, God said, that's it. You're not going to enter into my rest. Do I believe we'll meet him in heaven? Yes, I do. I believe that I'll be at Moses' feet in heaven and saying, teach me all you know. Do I believe there's a whole lot of people a whole lot better and nicer and, and know a lot more scripture than I do that will never enter into God's rest on this earth? Yes, I do. Because the requirement is not how good you are and how nice you are and how much scripture you know and how much you've obeyed God or not obeyed God, although obedience is a result of belief. The requirement is belief. And how simple. Because then over the next several weeks, although I'd love to lock the doors and just not let you out of here until we get this all out, we can just look at the Israelites and look at what they did so we don't do it. And look at what would aid us and help us to believe and what will pull us down the path and into the pit of unbelief. And then we have the tools to walk in belief and to walk right into the promised land of rest. I feel privileged. I feel humbled this morning that God is allowing us to learn this because it's going to change your life. It's changed mine. It is changing mine. It is the most significant thing I have ever learned or ever stepped into as a believer. The Israelites also saw and experienced God's power of deliverance. They were delivered from, gosh, everything, sin, Egypt. We talked about all the miracles that they saw, and yet they continued to not believe, and their hearts were then hardened because they heard and saw and experienced God but then they stop believing him. If you look at Psalm 95, 8, it says, Harden not your heart as in the provocation. Provocation means to provoke, to exasperate, to rouse to indignation. And if you look in those scriptures, when they talk about the provocation, they're talking about the time of testing where the Israelites were taken out of Egypt and then that time in between Egypt and the Promised Land is called the provocation because the Israelites provoked God continually. I have a, I have a four-year-old, and um, many times when we go out to dinner, I would like to say that I'm in the time of provocation. Psalm 95.8, Harden not your heart as in the provocation as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. These are things that we are being told by God not to do. Hebrews 3.8 says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness. Hebrews 3.15 says, While it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the time of testing. Now, I want you to see something kind of funny because um, from the looks on your faces, you're, you're, you're in need of some uh, comic relief. Um, everyone's looking at me like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to fall short of this. Oh. Lock the doors, please. We want to hear the rest. Um, You're not. God's so good. See, what I love about God is the promises that he gives us. He wants us to be able to accomplish 
What I love about God is he never sets up his kids for failure. Just like none of us as good parents would set up our child to fail. Okay, here are the house rules. We give them to our kids, they leave. If they're old enough, they drive off. If they're young enough, maybe they just go to their room and then we look at our spouse and go, no way, no way are they going to be able to accomplish that. Let's just punish them their whole life. None of us would do that. We set up our kids to succeed. And it grieves us when they stumble. But when they do and they come back to us, we set them up to succeed again. We help them. And God has this word going out to us today because he wants you to leave this classroom today or walk away from this CD or whoever is hearing this and succeed and enter into the promised land because it belongs to you and you're his child. It's part of your inheritance. But here's something funny to look at. Let's look at human nature because I thought it was interesting that it took about one month for God's people to go from seeing the power of God, the Israelites from seeing the power of God, the hand of God, the amazing miracles of God, It took one month from them to proclaim his goodness and believe him to begin falling into unbelief. And I'm willing to um, bet, although I don't know betting is probably a real religious thing to say, but I'm willing to bet that it takes us maybe less than one month. See, I I would look at the Israelites' life and i go, when are they ever going to learn? I mean, seriously, these people. You read the Old Testament and you're like, God does something, he helps them out, and they're like, yippee, yippee. In two or three days they're like, oh, God, we're so mad at you. We're going to go make a calf and worship it. And you're like, what's their problem? But we do the same thing. It doesn't take us very long to fall back into unbelief unless we have set our minds, unless we have an awareness that that's what's happening, unless we see that that's a scheme of the enemy to keep us out of the promised land and to keep us out of the faith and the rest and the peace that God has given us, and we adamantly say, no, I will continue to believe God, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the hurt, regardless of how I feel like he's turned his face from me, regardless of how... I cannot figure out how any of this could possibly be fixed. There's one thing that I will do, and that is I will continue to believe him. Unless we know to do that, it's easy to fall into unbelief. So the Israelites were delivered out, and they're so excited, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Exodus 14.31 says, And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared, they respected God. They put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. And Moses and the Israelites sing this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. And one month later, Exodus 16.1 says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt. So it's saying a little over a month later, they're in the desert. 
They're in the wilderness. They're in between Egypt and the promised land. And here's what they say. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us into this desert to starve this whole entire assembly to death. Okay, I think that's funny. You know why? I so have done that. I'm like, God, I'll never ask you for another thing. I love you. I so believe you. When I had Maddie Witten and I had this metal rod in my back, still do, and I was told, I don't even think you can carry a baby, and I had this eight-pound baby, I held her in my arms and I said, God, I will never doubt you again. Ever. I love you. I will never grumble against you again. I'm so thankful for you. It wasn't even three weeks later when I was saying, Oh, Lord, please just help this baby to sleep. I can't stand this anymore. Please. It didn't take me very long. You know, even when we become Christians so often, we become believers and we we feel, we know, we experience the power of God that you can only experience when you realize that you just have to have Him. That you just have to be cleansed on the inside and that you have to know that you belong to the creator of the universe and that apart from his son, you just kind of, you can't reach out and, and touch your own father. And that we need Jesus to forgive our sins. And when you go down on your knees and maybe it's just in your heart you've gone down on your knees, but when you've asked Jesus, come, please. Forgive me, I accept your sacrifice for me. Make me a part of your kingdom. Make me your son or your daughter. The power that that comes into us, the Holy Spirit, and the joy, the release of knowing that we're in a family, that we're forgiven. And yet it doesn't take very long for us to walk away from that, just like the Israelites, and stop believing. Things don't start... They don't line up the way we wanted them to. And so, although I profess that God is God and he can do anything, and Luke one thirty seven says all things are possible with God, well, but in this circumstance, I'm not going to believe him. And then I forfeit my rights to enter into the promised land. Can you think of times in your life, too, where it didn't take long for you to go from believing God and loving God, trusting God, joyfully praising God and then circumstances came in and you stopped believing and what God wants to tell you today is don't stop believing because if you'll hold on and believe God in this time of testing in the time of wilderness where things look impossible, they look dry, they're hurtful, they're painful, if you will just hold on to God and not let go, you will enter in to a promised land of rest that most people will never, ever see or experience. A promised land. Hebrews 3.8 says, Don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, 
Hebrews 13 says, Harden not your hearts as in the time of testing. I think it's important for me to just say this real quickly as we come to a close, that God does test us. He doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. And and, and as I was preparing for the study, I thought, well, why, God, why? Why couldn't you just take the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery and just rush them into the promised land so they wouldn't have a chance for unbelief? They wouldn't have a chance to, to not enter. They would just rush in. And why don't you do the same thing with us? When we receive your son, Jesus Christ, why don't you just rush us in to that place of peace and rest? But see, God says in his word so very clearly, he tests us to know what's in our hearts. And he tests us not only for him to know. He already knows, really, doesn't he? For us to know what's really in our hearts. It's really easy to praise God when we can see what he's doing. He's working miracles. It's easy to believe him. We don't really have to have faith when the sea is parted. We don't really have to have faith when we receive the answers to our prayers. We have to have faith when we don't see, when we don't hear, when we don't understand, when no one has the answer, when no one understands. And that's when we know what's really in our hearts. And God can't rush us into the promised land of rest with all of this yuck in our hearts because guess what? We ourselves would walk out of it. We ourselves, because of the yuck in our hearts, the unbelief, would walk away from the living God. He wants us to be tested so that we can know what's in our own hearts and so that we can go into the promised land of rest on this earth and stay there. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Exodus 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for each day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Those that enter enter the promised land have passed the test. And the test is that no matter what you're going through, you believe God. And what I'm excited about is we will be learning what it takes. Um, We know it takes belief to enter into the promised land of rest, but God gives us so much direction in his word specifically for our lives of what to do and what not to do to have the belief that we need. There are things that tear down our belief that we do unknowingly that we'll learn not to do. And they're simple, simple things. And there are things that build up our belief that we can do to enter into God's rest. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I feel so incredibly humble this morning to praise your name and to worship you and to know that you are calling today. You are calling out to your people today for us to not harden our hearts in unbelief. Even as we see and feel darkness, as we feel trapped, as we feel anxious, as we feel that the world, the weight of the world is on our shoulders, we cry out to you, Father, I believe. Please help my unbelief. Lord, it would be my prayer that each and every person that hears this message would enter in to the promised land of rest that you promised us on this earth. A land of milk and honey. A land of peace not dependent upon circumstances. A land of sweet sleep and wide open spaces. A land where we don't have to worry. A place where we trust God so much that everything can look dark around us. And we can say, yes, but I remember how God delivered me out of Egypt and I believe God. Yes, but I remember when God came through for me before and I believe God. I refuse to quit believing because I want to enter his rest. Father, I pray for each person in this room as they come with different burdens and as they're each in their own time of testing from you or even maybe temptation from the enemy. And I thank you, God, that you have set them up as your sons and your daughters to succeed. And I thank you, Father, that the one that's within them is greater than the one that's within the world. And I praise you, Lord, even though we may not know everything that your word says right now, we know your word says that the requirement to coming into your rest is belief. And I pray right now, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would increase our belief as we doubt and as we feel ourselves being sucked down into the vortex of worry and anxiety guilt, panic, we would say out loud with our mouths, I believe God. I believe God. I believe He has a good plan. I believe He's going to help me. I believe that I can have peace and rest. Father, I thank You that Your Word so clearly says to trust in You with all of our hearts. In Proverbs 3, to lean not on our own understanding and all of our ways to acknowledge you, you will make our path straight, to not be wise in our own eyes, to fear you and to turn from evil. And if that word evil means unbelief, we turn from unbelief this morning. Please help us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this word this morning, for your truth, your life, your light that shines in the darkness of our lives and for making us whole. I thank you, Father, for I'm excited that we could all walk into your promised land together. Amen. 
We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org. K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.